Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 310, Gay Siebold and David Golan. And now, podstructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. And Christy Cherish. We're welcoming Christy back. I've been a couple weeks without Christy. We were just conversing and discussing how we probably haven't spoken. At one point, we are kind of inseparable for weeks on end, and we probably haven't spoken live for a month. We've obviously chatted online and what have you, but haven't, uh, I was going through Christy withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I, it's, it's, I miss, I miss having these conversations before the show. They're fun. They are, they are fun. Talk and about publishing, what you're doing. Yeah. Books. Books. And we're going to keep it kind of fun. Christy and I, so I'm going to get, a, we'll, we'll get a full dose of each other and get to meet in person, which I'm really excited about here in a couple of weeks at the, at Sasquan, the Hugo Awards. And unfortunately, I was a bit of a slacker and double booked myself and my wife will kneecap me. I had planned a concert with her. There was going to be a big date night to see the Foo Fighters and we've been waiting years to see them. So I am arriving late to the convention but we will be able to party at least Saturday afternoon and evening together. And, and it's totally okay that you're arriving late because I'm getting there on the 18th. And Sean emailed me and told me specifically that I was the one who was supposed to go around and hug everybody for the show. Okay. So I can do that and have that done before you even get there. Good. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody wants hugs from me. <laughs> That's going to go over really well. well mate, you'll make Sean, me... Sean Farrell told me to hug you. Sorry. To hug me. Oh, to hug me? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm thinking if I'm talking to people at the convention, I'm like, that's going to go over well. Yeah, Sean like, Farrell. Talking to people. Yeah. Hi, Mr. George R. R. Martin. Sean Farrell told me to hug you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought Sean might have been joking about me because I'm actually known to be a bit of a hugger. Matter of fact, there have been some pictures floating around the internet of when I finally got to meet Sean in person, we were in actually in um, Napa Valley, and he lives in Sacramento. And my wife and I, we were there in San Francisco, and we met in Napa and had dinner together. And the first time I met Sean, I hugged him, gave him a ginormous, just life, you know, life-altering hug. <laughs> and that's... Uh, and it's been floating around the interwebs, and I think he's uh, forever embarrassed about that moment. But Oh, that's uh, hilarious. I, I thought he was asking you to reciprocate. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. If you want to be resident team team hugger, I think that'd be fabulous out at out of There the we go. Yeah, so, well, I'm excited about that, but I know you've been busy, too. So before we get into this interview with, and so just so folks know, this Upcoming interview here in a couple minutes is going to be the wonderful Greg Palaichi. He, you know, he's been providing these interviews from the Nordic Convention Archipelagon, and this week it's with Gay Siebold and David Gullen. And before we get you into that fabulous interview of uh, some, I, I know Gay's from the UK. 
Uh, before we get into that interview, Christy, I know you've been super busy with edits, and I just thought you and I could do a little bit of catching up and sharing with folks what what we've been up to. I yeah, no the the edits are all good. I got those in. I got those in a while ago, but um, what I've the point I'm at now is um, I've got other novels I'm working on that I have to write. Um, so I, I've gotten into this habit now where I put my phone and I put all of my email and social media across the room so that all I have is my computer in front of me. And then I have a timer. So I'll like do every 45 minutes, I'll get up and wander over and check my email. But, um, I had to start doing that because we're ramping up, um, out. So my, the second book, um, that I've got with, with Simon and Schuster, they upped the release date to October. So it's coming out sort of in peak season. So they've already started marketing and I've started doing blogs and stuff for that. So, but you're sort of on social media because the net galleys just went out. And so people, I I started seeing people tweet and it's like, yeah, I got my net galley approval. And it's like, oh man, the reviews are going to start coming in for book two. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I went through it with book one, but it's still nerve wracking. Like the, I, I think the first couple books, it's still nerve wracking seeing the first few reviews go up from, from bloggers and from, you know, reviewers who, who do this as part of, um, you know, as, as a major hobby, um, because they're really important. Um, and you know, even the, the more like, I mean, the critical reviews and it's just cool seeing a review, like the problem is never, uh, whether or not you get a good review, it's just getting anybody to read the damn book. So even if they hate it, the fact that they look, picked it up is, is kind of awesome. But, you know, the positive and the negative reviews are all super important, especially coming in from the bloggers, because they're not just saying, oh, I hated this book or I loved this book. They're adding in, you know, they're giving um, reasons and they're talking about the book and they're talking about why they liked it, why they didn't like it. And all that's really important. So yeah, so no, it's, it's, it's coming out. It'll, it'll start coming out soon and, and people are reading it. So I, the social media is across the room while I do my actual writing stuff and yes. um, we'll see how it goes. Cause we, they have to be separate. Otherwise you'd never get off Twitter. Exactly. You would never get off Twitter. And I've been watching a little bit of Twitter. There, there are two thoughts about you moving the, the schedule, getting accelerated for Al a little bit. Is one, the most important reviewer is my mother. And, and she says, yes, hell yes, she wants the next book sooner rather than later, right? So I, I just got to get that in for my mom. <laughs> and then, uh, the, the, but seriously, the, the other thing that I, you know, so I ended up creating a Twitter list for the show just so I can get a better grasp on, you know, Twitter gets to a point where if you have a lot of people that you're following, it becomes hard to actually follow the people you're, you're closest to. So I actually started adding some of the folks that are associated with the show, and I've been seeing a lot of cool stuff coming through, not only things you've been retweeting and sharing, but other things people have been saying about you. And the operative word I've been seeing in a lot of those tweets is more. More, more, more. And I think that that's probably the best word you can hear, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. At, le- at yeah. least at this juncture. At least at this juncture. So <laughs> Then you reach George R. R. Martin status and that you're like, okay, I've heard more enough. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I think there's this myth that um, I'm actually doing a blog post for Bookworm Blues coming up soon. Um, I have to hand it into her. But um, on just 
the idea of, you know, sort of reviewers and authors and that kind of a relationship, because I'm kind of, well, we're both kind of on both sides where we review stuff, but we're also, you know, writers. So it's, and it's, it's, there's this myth out there that I think reviewers are out to get you or readers are out to get you. And no, it's not. Most reviewers love books and most, most people who write reviews love books and they just want to read more and, and share their opinions. And I, I think it's all really cool. So, Yeah. Yeah, and I think most people that open up the jacket of a book, to your pointer, I, I don't know many people that open up a jacket to the book and say, I hope this book sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, although I did get something from that on, on somebody I know that said, I think I might review this book because I'm looking forward to panning it. And I had to send a note back. I sent a note to that individual and said, yeah, if that's your goal, I'd just rather not see it or read it. So yeah. just knowing, just knowing that might be the goal up front. Um, not really interested, you know. Because yeah. occasionally we take guest guest reviewers and and guest um, columnists and what have you to the show. So there there was a blogger who um, who I was chatting with a little while ago, and I think was it Anya. So. Um, Oh yeah, Starship, Starships and Dragonwings. Yes. It might have been her. I could, I could be misquoting this, but um, uh, she, I, I think it was her. I could be wrong, but I think she was involved in the conversation a bit. But reviewers who tend to have this negative bent will get like this, this huge influx initially because it can be funny, you know, if they're panning a particular book. But and if you're snarky they, and can do it well, right? Oh yeah, but they tend to lose readers eventually and and quite quickly if that's all they do because. Nobody wants to read only about the books you hate. They want books that they might actually want to go out and buy. So it's, it's kind of one of those, you know, it's, it's the whole negative thing. It can be funny and it can get you some laughs initially, but eventually you've got to put some stuff in there you like. It's interesting you mentioned Anya, too, because actually Anya, I reached out to her at the end of May and we just couldn't quite get schedules to mesh because she actually had reviewed Tina Connolly's. Yeah, where we had Tina on for the for the interview, and we were looking to have and we've got we have to have Anya on the show at some point. And so, if folks aren't familiar with her blog, what's what's her blog's name again? Because we're kind of doing this extemporaneously, uh, and I wasn't quite sure where you were going to go with that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but she has a one she has a wonderful blog. It's Starships and. Dragon, Dragon Wings. Dragon Wings. I'm going to double check that. Yeah, we'll double check it and get it right in the show notes, folks. And and then that way she knows we tagged her too. But if you're not familiar with her blog, I, I would highly encourage That's folks right. to do that. Yep, there. Yep, www.onstarshipsanddragonwings.com. Excellent. Yeah, we'll, ha- we'll definitely have to get Anya on the show. Knowing that you've chatted with her as well, I think we'll be able to pull that off if we can if we can pin her down, she, for a blogger, because I know she's a college student. I yeah. Know she's quite in graduate school. She takes the reviewing piece very seriously because from a scheduling standpoint, she had gone to um, the big library conference uh, at the, like, the beginning of July. And so that's one of the reasons why we couldn't quite get her on the show in, in June because there were a number of things that were going on, and then I was extremely busy in July. So, uh, but we'll have to make a point to do that. Get her on the show. Yeah, talk about something. No, she does some great reviews, and she's so frequent too. Um, and guest blogs and giveaways and things like that. She's um, no, it's there's a lot of great blogs out there. Yeah. It's um, 
There's a ton of them. So what else is going on? I'm going to a convention next weekend, uh, the 14th to the 16th of August, and I'm actually doing a couple of conventions. So that's the first one, and I'm going to be a panelist as an urban fantasy author. So it's When Words Collide in Calgary, and I'm also doing a blue pencil session, which is going to be fun. So I've had people sign up for my blue pencil sessions, which is awesome. And um, and for I, folks who don't know what those are, what are, oh, what yeah. are those? Yeah. Basically, it's... It's where you get to sit down with an author, uh, a published author, and you, for about 15 minutes, you they will look at your work, they will read it over, so I'll be the person reading stuff over, and um, then I make comments about their work, you know, what, what kind of a direction they might be going, what their goals are, you know, um, anything from, you know, publishing strategies to just the writing, depending on what they're looking for. I actually, my, um, I did a blue pencil session about three, four years ago at uh, Surrey International Writers Conference in Vancouver here. And I got to sit, this is when I was first doing, um, doing up my book, and I got to sit down with Diana Gabaldon as the author when I did my blue pencil session. So that was awesome. So now I get to do the reverse and get back to aspiring authors, which is kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And then where, so you're, I knew at one point you were talking about New York Comic Con too. That's October. October. Okay, yes, so I think a, it's October 9th or so. So we have a little bit of time. Anything in between uh, Sasquan and then? Yeah, so right after Sasquan, where we, you know, we, we all get to go and hang out at the Hugo parties, that I think is going to be the most entertaining aspect. I'm wondering if we could take our phones in and just do a little bit of a recording, you know, just, just to get some of the conversations that are going to pop up there, but um, <laughs> maybe not. Um, but after that, I'm doing PAX, so Penny Arcade. And, of course, I'm going to have to go, and um, uh, Bioware is always there. So I'm hoping Patrick and Karen Weeks are going to be there so I can go by the Bioware station and, and harass, chat, get them to sign books, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, But Penny Arcade is going to be awesome. Uh, it's video games. It's, it's three, full days, three full days of actually four of video games. So I'm going to be going around and trying out all sorts of video games all day long uh, with, with my, with my spousal unit, with my husband, Steve. Um, and that's our, that, that is our couple's vacation. We have been doing every year is going to Penny Arcade and playing video games for a few days. Now, where is that hosted again? Seattle. Seattle. Okay. Yeah. I thought I knew it was Pacific Northwest. So one of the things, and you and I'll have to talk about this at this point, I'm going to not going to drag all the listeners through this, but so I was having a conversation with my son about going to San Diego Comic-Con at one point. So both my son and my brother, and because my brother would love to go to San Diego Comic-Con. And so I said something to my son and he said, no dad, I would rather go to like E3 or Penny Arcade. Yeah, and and I'm like, no, wait a second. Christy was talking about Penny Arcade, so at some point, I I need to talk to you about what's the like, kind of the culture and everything, kind of everything there, because I'm still very you know doting and protective father, uh, <laughs> and this would be his first foray into like going to a con. So we'll have to we'll have to compare notes at some point since you we will, and okay. and we've had we've had discussions about what I consider general audience or PG-13 after the Road Warrior incident. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like Penny Arcade, you do see lots of um, lots of kids there. You see adults. Um, I, I feel it's a very family 
uh, family-friendly event. Um, there are lots of games for the kids, and they tell you when they've got the mature games. And a lot of the mature games are, um, you actually, and I, I think this is clever of them in the organization, um, you know, on the parts of the game companies, you aren't seeing them on a big screen. Uh, you actually often have to go inside to a, um, you know, they'll build these really cool facilities and stuff, and you see bits of the game outside, but to actually play those games, you've got to go sort of inside. So it's it's not right there. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, you know, so I, I'll, I'll keep my eye out again this year. But I, I think, yeah. you know, I, I see lots of teens and stuff there. The cosplay is not, you know, the cosplay is awesome. Um, but, again, the cosplay is very family friendly as well. That you would be, I don't think you'd see anything that you would be uncomfortable explaining to, um, you know, to kids or teenager at any any day. So I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a great convention. Yeah, he's getting to the point he thinks he knows it all. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably be okay in another year, like maybe next year. Obviously, it's not going to happen this year. Dad has too many of his own trips that he wants to take. But that I, I just thought that was interesting. I'm like, would you rather go to, we're all set to maybe go to like Dragon Con or San Diego Comic Con. He goes, nope, Dad, I want to go to a video game convention. I'd rather yeah. go to E3 or, or Penny Arcade. And I went, okay. Which reminds me, if you're coming to Kansas City next year for the Hugo Awards, or if anybody's coming to Kansas City next year for the Hugo Awards, and I'm already starting to have some conversations with the Mid-America Con, two folks will actually be sponsoring them at one point, but may have some folks on to talk about the convention leading up, doing a series. I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get that to work. But we have some really cool like arcade bars that are popping up. Oh, cool. All over the city. So one I was at last week was is called Tapcade, and it's 100 different craft beers, and then all 80s, it's all retro, like 80s and 90s video games. Oh, do they, do they have the pinball machines, like the Indiana Jones pinball machines? Oh, no. There's another place that's the same concept. So Tapcade's more family-friendly, mm -hmm. but they have the similar concept that's a couple blocks away called Up Down Bar. And they yeah. have, like, the skee-ball and more of the um, full, like, pinball games. But there's a place in Lawrence, which isn't too far away. It's, like, 30-minute drive from Kansas City that is hangout when I was even in college. They're called the Replay Lounge that's, like, all pinball games. So when if you're coming to Kansas City next year, we'll, we'll have to definitely make uh, a walking Because it's all within walking distance of the convention. You can have beer and you can play video games. It sounds kind of awesome. Yes, definitely, definitely awesome. So we'll need to make a point of that. Well, the big thing I need to get on the stick on, so we're talking about conventions, and I'll obviously be at Sasquan with you, but the other convention I'm going to be at in October, so I think it's maybe a week after New York Comic Con, is I will actually be at Icon 40 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, participating in the, I did it two years ago, and I had to miss last year, and was really sad about, but uh, several of my Viable Paradise classmates have set this up as kind of a reunion. They have a workshop called Paradise Icon, and I know they're still looking perhaps for a writer or two. The seats are almost filled for the workshop. But I'll actually be workshopping, and that's something that, you know, Tim Ward with the show is actually workshopped with me there. And I have to get a short story written, or I'm going to be in a world of hurt. So I've taken portions of novels and a novella in the past. 
But this year I'm going to write a short story and take it to have critiqued with my, my classmates. So I need to get on that and quickly. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have any idea what you're going to write about yet? I do, actually, which I'll share with you offline. But I, I, all right, all I'm right. not going to subject my little precious little precious little idea to the whole world to have my hopes and dreams crushed, like in that on idea. Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to at least have that idea take some shape before it gets crushed. It'll get it'll get crushed enough at the workshop, I'm sure. So I, I want to take that little idea, and I'm sitting here thinking of that IBM commercial. Have you ever seen that IBM commercial? Yeah. Okay, with the fuzzy little guy, and he's walking around. He's a sad little idea. Yeah. Until he finds his way to IBM, and they. They do right by him. <laughs> but I'll share with you here in a minute. Okay. <laughs> once, we're ra- once we're wrapped up. So uh, anything else that you want to mention? We've got giveaway still going on. Brenda Cooper, you'll hear her sponsored. We have giveaway for what you can pre-order. Her collection, Cracking the Sky Now, you'll hear that in the sponsor segment. But uh, we've got a giveaway for her. And I know we'll be wrapping up by the time you hear this. This will be the final day, likely, of the Troll Hunters and more giveaway from Disney Hyperion. So make sure we'll have more giveaways forthcoming. So if you're listening to the show just on iTunes or via the RSS feed, come to the website so you can actually get in on the video, uh, the giveaways, not the video games. We don't have video games on the website yet, I'm sorry, but... On the giveaways, you you definitely want to come to the website to get that. But anything else you can think of, Christy? Yeah, definitely. Like, I I, I was going to say something about Troll Hunters. There's a review going up on the website soon for Troll Hunters um, by by one of our new reviewers, actually. So, um, and and what I've heard so far is that it's good. So it's a con- it's it's a contest you want to enter and you want to win. I I'm looking forward to this whole Hugo Awards thing. I think it's going to be fun. And even if we just end up. You know the the bunch of us from the show. I think Tim Ward's going as well. Yes. Uh, part, yeah, he's going as well. So I think it's going to be fun. You know, the three of us can stand there at the wall and and drink beer and just watch everything unfold in front of us during the shows. I I'm not sure if it's going to be if it's it. I'm hoping it goes really well. I'm hoping everybody has an awesome time. But it's got the potential. You're sort of sitting there going, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder is, you know, are, are there going to be any fights that, you know, or verbal fights that, you know, pop up is, is I, I'm curious. I'm curious. We may expect to hear raised voices at some point. And, yeah. and, and for folks that didn't see it online, obviously the vote came in with record numbers, which I fully expected based on all of the campaigning, us included, to make people aware of what was taking place and just having their voice heard. So it, it'll be interesting. And maybe you and I can like parallel periscope each other with our feedback. It'll, it'll be very fun. Out there. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a great time. So, well, folks, it's just, I think two more weeks away and we'll, we'll be out there, but un, uh, until then, take care. Bye guys. This episode is brought to you by Cracking the Sky by Brenda Cooper. Award-winning author Brenda Cooper's first science fiction-only collection treats readers to human stories about the future. In Cracking the Sky, meet a physicist who searches across timelines in a desperate attempt to travel across them herself. A young woman who tries to recover the magic of a trip on a river with her grandfather. A young couple who suspects their neighbor's child is being raised by robots. And many more. 
This capable collection of hard SF stories focuses squarely on world building, from the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. to the far reaches of space. Cooper works hard to center each piece on a way that technology has influenced human lives. Those who love technology-driven stories will find a lot to like. And James Van Pelt, author of Strangers and Beggars, calls the collection a masterful blend of hard-edged speculation tied to insightful evocations of the human spirit. To learn more, come to the show notes, episode 310, and click on the image that you'll see for Cracking the Sky by Brenda Cooper. In fact, we're giving away a copy of Cracking the Sky, U.S. residents only. To enter, email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com, or share a tweet or Facebook post, and be sure to tag us so we see the entry. Hi, this is Gregory Palagi for Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing from lovely Mariaholm, Finland, where I'm at Archipelagon. And today I'm speaking to Guy Siebold and David Golan. Hello, my name's Gay Siebold. I'm a UK fantasy writer. I write fantasy and steampunk and short stories and various other things. Uh, my first series is... Uh, Babylon Steel. Uh, there are two books out in that series, Babylon Steel and Dangerous Gifts. My steampunk series, there's currently one book out called Shanghai Sparrow. Sparrow Falling, the sequel is out next year. Hello, uh, my name's David Gullen. I'm a UK uh, science fiction and fantasy writer. I have a, uh, a short story collection called Open Waters, which uh, contains about half and half of, of new stories and, and uh, previous published stories. And uh, a science fiction uh, a book called Shopocalypse, which uh, is, is set primarily in, in America and, and concerns shopping, nuclear war and, and fast cars. Uh, I, I'm, I'm also one of the uh, judges of, the, uh, of this year's upcoming Arthur C. Clarke Award, which is now in its 30th year. Fantastic. So who are your publishers? I'm published by Solaris. Uh, short story collection is, is from Exaggerated Press, which is run by Terry Grimwood. Uh, the, the novel is currently out of print as the previous publisher closed, but Newcom Press, run by Ian Waits, is going to republish it uh, in next year. Excellent. So, you two are a married couple, <laughs> correct? No? You're just a couple. Couple, <laughs> sorry. So, how did you meet, and how did you both get into writing? We actually met at a writing group. <laughs> Um, so, well, I, I've, I've written pretty much from the time I could read, and uh, I started writing poetry and probably fairly typical small girl stories involving horses and unicorns and that kind of thing, and uh, carried on writing since then. Been very similar uh, story. I, I spent about 20 years, though, writing adventures for my friends uh, for tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. When that came to an end, and after a short period of unemployment, I went in for a, a writing competition, which I won to my amazement, and that gave me the confidence to try more writing. Of course, then I didn't publish anything for several years. That often seems to be the way for most writers these days. They're either working for 10 years until they have an overnight success, or they have some minor success, and then they are working diligently to follow that up. Both of you, what, what is your inspiration? What, what makes you want to write? 
I think my main inspiration is, is other writers. I've always been an obsessive reader, and I guess it's that old thing about write the stories you want to read. Um, I enjoy playing with words, I enjoy playing with characters and ideas. It's fun. I mean, sometimes it's really hard work, and sometimes I wonder what I'm doing and whether I know what I'm doing and why I'm still doing it, but... You know, when it's going well, it's really good fun. My own little made-up adventures as a child were always about what was over the next hill or round the corner or, or through the wood. And inspiration from other writers, yes, that fires that imagination. But it's, it's that realisation that you can, in fact, tell the story of what was over the hill or round the corner or, or down that alleyway uh, and do it myself. Uh, and, and that's fascinating to do because when you start, you don't know what's there either. Gay, you write very strong female characters. Your book covers have them in power poses, you know, and they're never in scantily clad chainmail bikinis. <laughs> Why? I mean, what, where's your inspiration for them? What do you want to do with these characters? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long-term feminist, and... Before I even knew what that was, I was kind of tired of stories where the girls never really got to do anything or have the main adventures or defeat the villain or whatever. You know, I think probably one of my first strong female role models was Alice in Wonderland because at least she got to do stuff. So I think there is a move away from the sort of, I don't know if, if wacky races will be familiar to your listeners, but the, the main female character in there was called Penelope Pitstop. And all she ever did was go, help, help, and be rescued. And I think there's a general move away from, from female characters who do that. But I'm also writing, not just in terms of the women I write, but generally I'm writing for the 14-year-old girl that I was. I mean, my books are, are adult rather than, than YA, but, you know, I was reading adult books at that age, and I could have really done with role models like that. Um, so generally, in terms of everything about storytelling, I'm very often writing for that adolescent girl. For you, um, you know, your book is called Shoppocalypse, but, you know, shopping is not something solely women do. So are there a lot of male characters in your book that are, you know, overcome by this need for consumerism? One of the themes of the book uh, is is the transition to a, a sort of post-consumerist age, if you like, which is an attempt to sort of struggle through from where we are to some kind of uh, utopia, which which perhaps sounds a bit worthy and a bit grand, but actually it, it, it really is kind of a, a, a chase movie. Um, there are certainly strong women in the book. Uh, in fact, I have I have a, a female president of the United States. Um, I wouldn't say she's uh, a particularly nice person, but she's certainly worthy and she believes strongly in, in her own ideals and principles. Um, Yes, there are many men who, who go shopping and, and uh, they are all caught up in the same consumerist surge that I think we're, we're, all, um, we're all kind of obliged to take part in these days. If feminism is about equality and reaching in an egalitarian world, how do you balance you know, th the needs for the female characters to you know, be strong, to have agency, to tell their own story with those of the men? Basically, you just write people. 
people do stuff. You have characters who are stronger and tougher and more active and characters who are less so and people who are active in different ways. I have some characters who are very strong in one aspect but weak in another and I think, you know, not all of them are human and I think that the most important thing when writing is to decide what you want that character to do, what you want that character to be and in an ideal world gender would not limit people's choices. I think that is one of the joys of writing fantasy is you can create worlds where gender and gender expectations don't limit people's choices. I think that word that you said, agency, is is really important. It's kind of flippant, but when I, when I was uh, in my teens, me and my friends all agreed that the Wicked Witch was far more attractive than Snow White, but we didn't really know why. And, and I think it is, is agency. She had power, she knew what she wanted, and she knew what to do to achieve it. I think modern technology, SF, can uh, break through those differences between sex because uh, a woman in powder salt armour can do exactly the same as a man. Uh, and, and therefore, what's the difference? And I completely agree with Gay that we're all just people. You said you have a female president. And I have to ask, is she more modeled on Sarah Palin or Hillary Clinton? <laughs> she, she's, she's Sarah Palin plus, I would say. I'm, I'm really not trying to uh, grind any axes about American politics, but I really wanted, I, I wanted a crazy president and I, I thought it would be fun to, rather than have your, your archetypal crazy male guy, which we've had lots of times, is just have a crazy female guy. What are you both working on currently? I'm working on a rather scarily ambitious project which um, started off as a as a small uh, sort of a fantasy romance and my agent said he liked the idea but could I make it bigger and it sort of mushroomed and I now appear to be writing my first attempt at full-on epic fantasy so um, <laughs> it, it's scary but I'm enjoying it and it has a world in peril and um, different countries at each other's throats. I'm trying to work on multiple things at, at the same time, so uh, perhaps I'm spreading myself a bit thin, but it's, it's really good fun. So I'm, I'm editing a, uh, an anthology which has the intention of trying to introduce a new word into the English language. Uh, I'm working on a, uh, uh, an apocalyptic video blog, and I'm writing in collaboration with Gay, a steampunk adventure in an alternative history of uh, Europe in post-Napoleonic times. Interesting. So how is that going being, you know, not just partners in life, but now writing partners? We disagree on plotting quite a lot, but it's it's fun. I mean, we do have a tendency to uh, sit around of an evening and, and gabble about wild ideas. And this particular series of wild ideas seems to have turned into a book. So it's basically um, we do a bit of plotting and then Dave writes a bit and then I write a bit and then we rewrite each other's bits. And, uh, and then we have another disagreement about which direction the plot should be going in. And then we do some more planning and then we write a bit. So it's a learning process because, you know, we're still trying to work out what is the best way for us to collaborate. But I seem to be using the word fun a lot today, possibly because this has been such a good con and I'm in a very merry mood. Um, but yes, it, it is fun, even when, you know, we go, 
but I thought we'd made this decision and now we have to make this different decision instead. It's very true. Although we both work from home, we don't really see much of each other during the day because we're all in our, both in our little boxes, busy working away. So when we're not writing, uh, we're talking about writing and, and this disagreement we have you know, story is made up of, of character and story and, and plot and, and we both agree that they're all important but where we disagree is which one is more important than the others and I think actually we're keeping each other in a nice balance Aside from the differences in what you deem most important do you find that your writing complements each other? Is one of you better at maybe writing character, dialogue, and the other is at description? Oh, that's tricky, actually. I mean, I think until third parties read the result, it will be difficult to know whether our, our writing works together. I think Dave is better at having an overview of what the book should look like, what the, what the eventual feel of the book should be. And he's much better at thinking about actual structure and the the framework on which the story is built and gay is very good at getting right under the skin of the characters and finding out who they are and and what they want and i know i'm not not as good as that as i say it, it is balance um I'm far more fascinated with story than with character and I think possibly it's safe to say it's the opposite mm. for gay but it really is you know where on 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 the levels you're you're setting your you're, set, you're setting your dials um so it's not as if I'm disinterested in it I know I'm not so good at that because I'm always being pulled in another direction to do other things Gay, you already have a steampunk series out, uh, the first book of which is Shanghai Sparrow and the second which is still to come out. Yes, yes, that will be called Sparrow Falling. How does it feel to write a new steampunk series with your partner? It's very different because it, you know, in some ways it's, it's great because I don't have to do all the work <laughs> and we can, we can bounce ideas off each other. Um, when I'm in the process of writing something I tend to not talk about it a huge amount um, I mean I will sometimes gavel to Dave about it when I'm really really stuck but generally until I've got a first draft it always feels quite fragile to me so I don't talk about it a great deal and it's actually nice to do something in collaboration where I am getting to discuss it as it goes along. I think in some ways it means the process is slower, but, you know, it's, it's always useful to try out different ways of working. I think it's a very good learning process. Dave, is this your first attempt at a steampunk piece of literature? Yes, it is. It was the right um, genre to write this story in. It was obvious for us once we, once we started thinking about where we were going to set it and how we were going to do it. And because we were in, you know, really excited about introducing sort of bizarre and fantastical forms of technology and, in fact, civilizations into the uh, early 1800s, it was obvious that this was going to be steampunk whether we liked it or not. Do you have a time and a deadline for this? We probably should. Um, <laughs> we've been vaguely saying, you know, we must, we must 
set ourselves a deadline. I think we did say something about the beginning of next year for the end of the first draft at some point. So it would be healthy for us to set a deadline. Otherwise, we could be working on it for the next decade. It's yes, it's it's speculative because it's it's not not uh, being contracted. However, you know we've had short conversations with agents and and eyes have expressed interest. So hopefully, it's it, when it arrives, it's going to be at the right place at the right time. So in this case, because you both have previously published work and presumably you have your own agents, are you having to find a third agent in this case to represent this work? Uh, we both have the same agent. so <laughs> That makes it easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How have you enjoyed Archipelagon? Oh, it's been wonderful. It's been a really, really nice con. Um, it's our first time traveling in this part of the world. We stayed with friends in Sweden for a couple of days before we came here. And it's so beautiful and everyone's been so friendly and it's really, really nice to come to a convention in a different country, see different faces, see the different ways that things are done. Different, There's a slightly different emphasis in the panels and so forth. And it's all been really good. What she said, Archipelagon's been a, a fantastic con. Uh, the people have been wonderfully friendly. The panel's really interesting and different with their own flavour. The weather has been astonishing. Uh, all I can say, if you've never been to this part of the, of the world and you're a fan of, of SF and fantasy, then come to FinCon next year. You'd love it. Archipelagon has been a trilingual con. Have you been to any of the panels that were in Swedish or Finnish? Sadly, no, because I've learned approximately half a word of each since I've been here. So um, I, I must admit, I love the sound of the languages, but I can't follow any of it. I did sit in uh, on one of the Swedish panels just to see what it felt like, just to sit in a room where everyone was, was talking you know, very vividly in their own language about a subject that if I knew what they were talking about, I would be fascinated myself. And it was strange. Swedish has, has odd beats in it that if you're not listening carefully, it sounds like English, but when you pay attention, then that all disappears. With your experience uh, here this weekend of, you know, a couple different foreign languages and uh, various cultures, is that something that you know, helps you write? You know, do you put your travels, your experiences into your books? Oh, I think so. I mean, we uh, were lucky enough to travel in Jordan and Egypt a couple of years ago. That was very, very interesting. It's my first time ever. We went out into the White Desert and that was astonishing. I completely fell in love with that landscape, which is not something I ever expected. I always thought desert would be quite sort of intimidating and bleak. And it was both those things, but it was also astonishingly beautiful and really, really interesting. And although I haven't actually used that, I've definitely got plans for that. And I think different experiences do feed into your writing in a very useful way, even if not always a terribly obvious one. There's nothing like actually being there to feel it and smell it and taste it. I think if you look back at, at some of the great writers like in the UK, J.G. Ballard and in America, Jack Vance, they both travelled extensively, though in, in Ballard's case, not, not often willingly, uh, but they both, those, those travels profoundly influenced their writing and knowing about that, you can, you can see that there. I think it's a very good thing to travel. Uh, it's good for you uh, and as a writer, it's good for your writing.
David, you said you're on the panel for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. How did that come about? I'm a member of the uh, British Science Fiction Association and uh, every year they can nominate two people to be judges on the panel from their membership. So out of the blue, I got an email saying, Dave, do you fancy doing this? And I thought, gosh, reading a hundred plus books in a year is going to be a challenge, but it's not one I can turn down. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Do you also feel that a, a certain responsibility and weight has been placed on your shoulders, given you know all of the recent hoopla over the Hugos and how that has to you know that's caused numerous issues? But now, or I believe it was just yesterday, the Locust Awards were announced. Absolutely, I'm I'm really trying to just look for books that fascinate me. The ones that draw me in are going to be the ones that I'm going to be most interested in. And that is partial. That is um, being partisan, if you like. But in a way, that, that really is how publishing works. Agents have got to love what their writers are doing. Publishers have got to love what uh, they are publishing. It doesn't mean it's uh, perhaps the best work, but it's the work that you love. Gay, as the recipient of the James Tiptree Jr. Award, how do you feel hearing that? Oh gosh, I, I'm not, so far as I'm aware. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have been, but uh, I was a nominee. Yes. I think the idea that anyone can be completely impartial is a crock, frankly. I mean, I was awfully pleased to be nominated because I do think that's, you know, an excellent award and I would love to have won. Um, you know, maybe some other time. I think awards are funny things because, you know, some awards are like the Hugos, are fan awards, and others are judged awards like the Clarks. And there's always going to be perhaps a wider spread in some ways with a fan award. But on the other hand, those are often voted on by actually quite a small number of people. It's, you know, the, the attendees at Worldcon or whatever. I think awards can be great in that they can help give a writer more confidence. As I say, even just being nominated for the tip tree was really, really nice. Winning can give you more confidence. It can also, I think, help sales, although nobody seems to be entirely sure whether it actually does or not. Uh, this argument goes back and forth. And I think I would like to think that I could be fair as a judge, but I know it'd be entirely impossible to be impartial because I read because I love stories and there are always going to be some stories I'd love more than others. I think one of the uh, really good things of a judged award is that you can bring attention to really good writing, really good storytelling that maybe isn't particularly commercial uh, and deserves a wider audience. Things that the popular votes wouldn't really know about uh, and so therefore can't be recognised in that way. So I'm really looking forward to the chance to see if I can find work like that and see if I can then bring it to the attention of, of a bigger audience. Excellent. And when will the Clark Awards be given out? The last awards were in um, about a month ago. So it's going to be next May, I, think, I believe. Yes. Yes, that's right. Where can we find you online? My website is gaysebold.com. Can you spell that, please? G-A-I-E-S-E-B-O-L-D. And my website is davidgullen.com, which is david, G-U-L-L-E-N.com. And I also tweet as dergullen, which is D-E-R. 
G-U-L-L-E-N. Oh yes, I should probably mention that I, I also tweet at Gay Siebold. But you also mentioned you had a video blog going. Is there a website for that? Not yet, because it, it's, still in, it's still in progress. Um, it's a, possibly an overambitious idea, but I'm in love with it. Um, the idea is it's, it's a, a post-apocalyptic blog of survivors around the world, and, and I have in fact got people around the world who are volunteering to be those survivors. So I'm, I'm quite excited about this, and I really hope it can happen. Excellent. So where can we find your books? You can buy mine either from the Solaris website or from Amazon or in several major chains. And I was delighted to discover that my books are in some bookshops in Sweden too. So yay. <laughs> Open Waters is uh, available online at uh, Amazon and, and through Lulu and, and, and the other normal places. Um, the ebook is, is still coming. As I mentioned, Chapocalypse is currently out of print, but shall return. I do have a few um, rare first edition copies available, um, but you'll have to talk to me. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Gay Siebold and David Gollan will both be at BristolCon Fringe on August 17th and at BristolCon on September 26th. For Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, this is Gregory Pelleci from Archipelagon in Mariaham, Finland. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.